Uh, anyways, let me do a little recap the last couple weeks to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. Um, so, so two weeks ago, we were here in this room, and we talked about just kind of laying a foundation for the coming year and, and even beyond that, hopefully for, for years and years to come, and we just talked about the gospel. We talked about what the gospel is, how it, it saves us, it strengthens us or, or sanctifies us, uh, and how it, it sends us out into the world that we live in. Um, in other words, the gospel should be like the ultimate source of motivation for us. We don't, we don't grow past it. Uh, it's not just like the entry gate to the Christian life, like it's the motivation for all the Christian life. And so uh, we talked about that two weeks ago, and then last Sunday uh, I talked awkwardly to an empty room. Um, listen, some people have a fear of public speaking. I think I have a fear of just talking to no one. Because it's, man, I'm telling you, to, to, to talk to a full or a, to a big sanctuary with no one in it, like I didn't, I didn't know where to look. I didn't, if you watch the video, like my eyes are just like, they're just wandering. I don't know where to look or what to do. So anyways, all that to say last Sunday, I talked awkwardly to an empty room about uh, the importance of worship in our lives and what, uh, like how it should be the, the central, uh, like, like the expression of our love to God for what He has done for us uh, and, and what He's doing in us because of Christ. And so um, that was kind of built around the first big word in our mission statement here. When you walk in this hallway, you see those, those three words on the right, right? You got love, live, and lead. And so last week we just talked about this idea of love right? and worship being an expression of our love uh, of God, our love to God. And so um, to, to keep it in front of us, let me give a, a slightly, I gave this really long definition of our, our mission statement or uh, summary of our mission statement last week. Here's a slightly more condensed version. Right? I, I just want to keep it in front of us uh, and full disclosure, I'm still trying to learn it too. So the more I say it, the more apt I am to remember it. Um, but here it is. It says, we exist to love God and others, to live out our faith, and to lead others to the life-changing presence and power of Jesus Christ. All right, so, so that's what we want to be about here at Valley Creek. And, and so last week was love. This week, as you probably might have guessed by now, we're going to move on to this idea of, of live. Like, what does it mean to live this out? And so here's my roadmap this morning. Okay, uh, is One, I want us to see how... Gospel-motivated worship is lived out like in the day-to-day life of the believer. Right? So if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, um, one of my goals this morning is for us to see how, uh, how worship motivated by the good news of Jesus is, is lived out in day-to-day life. And then the second thing is just for us to, to consider how that process actually happens. Like how we go, how we begin to live a life of worship. Um, to God for what He has done. So uh, our text, as I said, Romans 12, we're going to be in the first two verses this morning. So here's Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first thing I think we want to see this morning, uh, or that I want to bring to your attention this morning, is just the word, therefore. Okay, I'm going to be, do I have permission to be cheesy? Okay, because I was going to be cheesy whether you gave me permission or not. Um, so Bible reading tip, 
anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself this question. What is therefore, therefore? Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging my cheesiness. Okay. Um, it, it's not, I didn't make that up in my defense. I heard it somewhere. I don't remember where it was. But, but the word therefore, when you see it in the Bible, is important. Because what it does is it connects what was already said or what's been said with what's about to be said. Okay, and so in the context of Romans 12, uh, what's happening here is, is Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans just talking about the gospel. Right? 11 chapters just saying, hey, here's what Jesus has done. Uh, here's why it's good news. Uh, and he just like goes off on all these like sort of tangents just about kind of based on the gospel. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans are just about the good news of Jesus. And then in Romans 12, he's going to pivot. Okay, to I just got the Friends episode stuck in my head. Um, some of you guys have seen that. So uh, he, he, he changes directions from talking about the gospel to then talking about the implications of the gospel and how it should affect how we live out day-to-day life, right? So um, what we see, right, a lot of times in Paul's letters, he does this a lot, like talk about Ephesians and Romans and all these different letters that Paul writes. He oftentimes we'll spend a lot of time just talking about, uh, he'll start with the good news of Jesus. He'll explain it. He'll remind his hearers of it because like I said a few weeks ago, it's good for us to be reminded of it. Uh, he'll, he'll explain it. And then after he explains what the gospel is to make sure uh, we've got a grasp of that, then he moves on to uh, how our lives should look in response to what he has said about Jesus, about the gospel. And so that's what's happening here, right? He... Um, First 11 chapters, the gospel. Now he's going to change. He's going to talk about here's how we live in response to that. Okay, and so um, here, here's our response. 11 chapters on the good news of Jesus. And then verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Here, here's our response. It says that we should present our bodies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right, so in other words, the expected response to someone who has put their faith in Jesus, who's believed the good news of the gospel, right, the expected response would be one of, of worship. Right, like Out of response to God's grace and His mercy in our lives, which is what Paul writes about, right, the, the mercies of God, um, out of response to that, our lives should be lives of, of, of worship. And we talked about that last week, um, or I talked about that last week on, on the video about God being the object of our worship, about uh, His work in our lives being the uh, being the, the thing that should motivate us to worship, the, the content of our worship. Uh, and then we also talked about um, how our worship should like overflow in a way that the people around us uh, see and notice that there's something different about us. We talked about the witness of our worship. But here's what, what I want to talk about, um, and this is really the first point, is just the, the extent of our worship, right? The extent, if you're taking notes, that's the first point, the extent of our worship. And um, so the first half of verse one is about the motivation for our worship, which is right, the mercies of God. But it's the second half of verse one uh, where we begin, Paul begins to point out, here's the extent of, of your worship, right? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Like our 
the extent of our worship is, is the totality of our lives. Right? Paul's point here is that uh, when it comes to how we worship, um, there's no compartmentalization in that. Right? Which is to say, like, worship is not just something we do uh, at, at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. Or if we're really spiritual, worship is not just something that we do maybe each morning. Uh, you know, we have our quiet time with the Lord. I have children, so it's rarely quiet, quiet time. Right? But we have our, our time with, with the Lord. Like, worship, worship is more than just those moments. Right? Worship, when Paul says we, we present our, our bodies as a living sacrifice, and that's our act of worship, what he's saying is like, we worship with the, the totality of who we are. Right? Everything. And so I, uh, this week provided a, I think a helpful illustration. So we were all working from home this week, just out of an abundance of caution. Uh, and for me, that means working in a home with um, five other people, four of which are seven and under. Um, so my wife, thankfully, is a, uh, I would say stay-at-home mom, but that's a lot of work. Her job's harder than mine. And so uh, she's a, I call her a work-from-home mom. But uh, <laughs> yes, work-from-home mom, she should get paid more. Um, but anyways, so, so she allowed me to kind of section off like a, an area in the basement for me to, to kind of work and on sermons, and we had Zoom meetings and stuff this week. Uh, but what I found is, you know, I, I would, you know, because I'm working in the basement, I would still go upstairs, I'd get coffee, you know, something to eat, drink, whatever, go up there for lunch. But what I found is that even though I'd kind of partitioned off this area of the basement, like this is where I'm working this week, what I found is that... Uh, my work did not stay in that room in the basement, right? I'm upstairs and I'm, uh, you know, like I said, getting, getting something to drink or, or getting something to eat. And uh, inevitably, I find myself responding to messages or uh, responding to emails or, or some, something like to put in the sermon would come up and I'd stop what I'm doing. And I'll put it in my phone. So, I, so my point is like, as hard as I tried to keep work confined to this area of my home, what happened is it it spilled out into over, or it spilled over into other areas, right? Or conversely, right? Even though my children knew this is where Daddy's working this week, uh, I think I was on a meeting with uh, Scott and Andrew on a Zoom call, and like I didn't even know my kids were in the room, and I'm looking at myself on the camera, and I see like my daughter climbing on the boxes behind me, is right? And so like, like. Not only did my work not stay in, the, in, the, in that room, but then my kids who knew I was working there, like, like they decided to infiltrate my workspace too, right? So my point being, okay, you guys are like, where's he going with this, right? My point is like, like as hard as I try to compartmentalize that, I couldn't do it. And the same is true of our worship. Like we cannot, we cannot think of worship as this thing that I'm going to keep at this point this area of my life, this time of the week, or this time of the day, right? Or, or even we think about just, just our lives. Like we can't think of, I'll give this area of my life to worship, but I will not give these areas of my life to worship. Because when Paul says, like, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, what he's calling us to is to present everything about who we are to God as an act of worship. Right? So um, maybe you hear that, and you're like, oh, really? Because that seems like a lot. And you would be right. It is. Right? It is a lot to give every 
every area of your life to the Lord in worship. Yeah, that's a lot. And, it, and it's totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. When we think about what, what God has done for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. right? He, he literally gave His Son for us. His Son gave His life for us. How could we not respond by giving the entirety of our lives to Him? Right? So, um, actually, there's some other translations that, um, if you're like me, I grew up, a lot of my childhood was in the, the KJV, and the way that it translates this is it says, uh, it says, we present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Right? For us to respond to God by giving every bit of our lives to Him, it's perfectly reasonable. It's perfectly logical. For all that He has done for us, how could we not give Him everything? Right? Because, listen, when, when Jesus saved us, He didn't redeem just part of us. Right? He doesn't just save like our Sunday mornings. You, you follow me? Like Jesus doesn't just save parts of our lives, or He doesn't just save our actions, but not our thoughts like he saves all of us and he's redeeming like every bit of us in our entirety and so there's no part of our lives that are, that are to be kind of sequestered off of, apart from him like he deserves it he deserves it all i've heard it said before that um that he's either lord of it all or he's not lord at all right that's that's true for us if we're going to call him lord and savior that means he gets access to everything and everything is a response um, of, of worship to Him. And so, I, Andrew and I were talking about the message this week, and um, he, he shared this with me. He, it was written out. And so, I'm just going to read it, because I don't want to butcher it, because I thought it was really, really good, and I want to give him credit for it. So, th- this is what Andrew shared with me. And their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, a- apart from God, like our thinking is incredibly flawed, at least in any spiritual sense. Um, Futile is the word that Paul uses. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, I looked up futile in the dictionary. Here's here's some of the synonyms. Insufficient, unprofitable, useless. So what Paul is saying is like, apart from the work of the Spirit, like like in our our lives, renewing our minds, apart from that, our thinking is, is unproductive, useless, worthless. Like we need a work of the Spirit um, before we can do anything spiritually productive, right? And so, it, this is the, the the work of the Spirit in our lives. Like he, uh, you read about it in, in John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. The work of the Spirit. He, he teaches us. Right? He uh, he he brings things to mind. He reminds us. He convicts us. All of this is a work of the Spirit as He does a work to transform and renew our minds. Um, but, but, but even that work, to, to point it back to verse 1, even that work of the Spirit begins by the mercies of God. Right? Because there is no work of the Spirit apart from salvation. Right? For, the, for the Spirit to, to work and transform our minds and to, to renew our minds, it begins at the point of salvation. So the first question before we consider, like, is the Spirit doing work in my mind? The first question is, is have you put your trust in Jesus as Savior. Because apart from the Savior, there's no work of the Spirit. Right? Apart from the Savior, there's no work of the Spirit. So that's why I, a couple weeks ago, like I came out of the gate. I was like, we're just going to talk about 
the gospel because it really is foundational to, to everything. Right? It, it's foundational to us. Like we need to be reminded of that. Um, but, but anyways, back to, to the text. We talked about the renewal of the mind. All of the Christian life is basically just an act of renewal. That's what it is. Right? We, you read through Scripture and you talk about what it means to, uh, to be in Christ or to live in response to what Christ has done. And it's all this language of right, we're, uh, we are born again or we're given a new birth. Uh, Paul constantly reminds us to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Right? He's, uh, he writes that we are new creations. And here he's writing that, that we need a, uh, a renewal of our minds. So all the Christian life is just this act of, of being renewed. And even the language here in, in this verse, uh, the, the word for transformed, I'm not even, even going to try to pronounce it in Greek because I would sound like an idiot. Um, but I have learned, if <laughs> one of the things that we were taught um, probably foolishly is if you don't know how to pronounce a Bible word, as long as you just say it with authority, nobody's going to question you. Right, so, <laughs> so, but anyways, the, the word that's trans, the word that's translated here for transformed is, uh, it's the same word that would be used to capture like the process of a, a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. It's like something entirely new. And so when we're we're talking about like Paul here saying we need a, a renewal of our mind, um, like like this is what the Spirit does. He brings about that which is new in our lives. Right? This is the, the path of discipleship, that our worship, our entire lives are increasingly transformed away from conformity to the world and into greater conformity to Christ by the power of the Spirit. Which brings us to, third point this morning, the result of our discipleship. All right, so we've talked about the, the path of discipleship, it's the work of the Spirit, uh, as we grow in our, our knowledge of of God and His Word. And the result um, is also in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here, here's the result. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I won't spend a ton of time here because I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, but the result of discipleship, the result of a life that is, is transformed so that every area of our lives is considered an act of worship to Him. And the result of that is that God's will is done. Like that's the result of, of our discipleship, that God's will is done in our lives. So earlier I referenced uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, right, right in the middle of that, there's this prayer that Jesus prays that many of you are, are probably familiar with, the Lord's Prayer. And there's a little, a little phrase in that prayer where, uh, where Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray, and, and He prays that, um, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys are familiar with that? I see some, some nodding heads. Do you know how the Lord's will is done on earth? Right? It's, it's accomplished when we grasp the reality right, that every square inch of our lives belongs to Him. Right, it's when we grasp the reality that, that everything about us belongs to Him. And we give Him control and lordship over that. And we begin to allow our, our behaviors and our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts to be shaped by what He says is good and right and true. Right? And as, that, as we're changed by that, as the Spirit does the work of, of renewing our minds and, and changing us, what happens is, 
as we begin to live out the will of God in our lives. Right, there's uh, an author that I, I like to read sometimes, Kevin DeYoung. He's got a book kind of written about this, about this idea of finding God's will for your life. And I know like sometimes we kind of throw that around. He just says plainly this, God's will for your life is your sanctification. Right? Like at the foundation level, that's God's will for your life. Right? That you would grow to be more and more like Jesus. That's God's will for your life. Or to use some of the, uh, the, the phrasing I've already said, like God's will for you is that you would grow in conformity to Jesus. And that's the result of discipleship. That's why we're going to continue talking about acceptable and it is perfect. Yes, God's will is good and acceptable and perfect to Him. But what you'll find is as you, uh, by the help and the power of the Spirit, as you live in the center of God's will for your life, you'll find that it is good and acceptable and perfect to you. There is, there is no more, there's no greater joy than living in the center of God's will for your life. Right? There's just, and I don't say that as like just a, as, as, as the pastor here, because that's what the pastor is supposed to say. Like, like I've lived in some darkness, and there's no greater joy than living in God's will instead of running from God's will. There's no greater joy than that. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's always comfortable. It doesn't mean it's always convenient. But it is good, and it is right. All right, so let me... Let me do this. Let me give you a couple things and we'll, we'll close here. Um, one of the things you'll notice is I like to try and give you uh, something to take with you this week right? so that, that maybe as you walk out of here and life gets crazy, maybe you'll have a couple things to just like some handles. I like, I like a sermon with handles, you know what I'm saying? So you can take it with you. So I'm going to give you two things for you to consider this week as you go throughout your week. All right. The first one is this. What areas of your life are hard for you to submit to God as an act of worship. So again, there, there's no compartmentalization when it comes to our worship of God. Like we don't get to just give him parts of our lives, but not all of our lives. So what areas of your life are hard for you to submit to God? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a, an, an attitude towards someone, right? Maybe it's a, I don't know, a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, right? There's, there's something in you that, uh, maybe you find it hard to, to forgive or even just think positively about that person. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's finances. Right. Maybe it's hard for you to, to live generously or you're just reluctant to do that. Maybe it's um, maybe it's your schedule. Right? You find it hard to to give up your time to serve and minister to someone else. Whatever. I mean, we could go on and on and on. The point is, what areas of your life do you find it hard to submit to God as an act of worship? All right. Like, what areas might the Holy Spirit be, be prompting you to surrender as worship to Him? Right? And the second question is this. 
Are there areas of your life? Actually, let me rephrase it because this is going to be true of all of us. What areas of your life are more conformed to the world than to, to Christ? What areas of your life are more conformed to the world than they are to Christ? And so again, to even put even more handles on it, I would just encourage you uh, sometime this week, sit down, grab your Bible, read through uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. All right, Jesus lays out, here's what it looks like to live as a citizen of my kingdom. And as you read through those things, just ask, right, is this true of me? Or am I more conformed to what the world would want me to think? Right? Jesus talks about all kinds of stuff. Just, just, it's like a good diagnostic uh, exam. Right? And I think if we'll read it honestly, we'll probably be more convicted than we wish we were. Right? But what areas of your life are more conformed to the world than to Christ? And then let me, let me just leave you with this. And then we'll, we'll pray. The band will come up. We'll sing. As you hopefully go this week and you kind of ask yourself these questions and you arrive at certain responses, um, I think what will happen is, is for all of us, there's going to be areas of conviction. Right? Areas where we, we realize, man, this, this area of my life, I, I, I just I haven't thought of it as an area of worship. Or, or there's going to be areas of your life where you look at it and you're like, man, this is, this is more conformed to the world than it is to Jesus. And what I would just remind you is, is where Paul started. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In those moments when you feel conviction, I want you to be reminded that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. His conviction is a gift. Because conviction is, is the Spirit bringing you and inviting you into a closer relationship with Jesus. So as you, as you feel conviction, like know that that's not condemnation uh, for maybe where your life doesn't line up where it should. That's an invitation for you to enter into a closer relationship with the Lord. It's, it's an inv- He's already moved towards you. That's the good news of the gospel. He's already moved towards you. He's just inviting you. He's inviting you closer and closer to Him as He conforms you to His image. All right? So I invite you to stand with us. Uh, the band's going to come up and lead us, and we're going to pray together. Uh, just before we pray, just want to remind you, there, there's ways for you to respond. Uh, I'll be here in the front if you're comfortable with that. If you're not comfortable with that, there's going to be ways on the screen for you to respond, whether it's uh, by text or, or just following up later in the week. But um, just want to invite you to do that. So let me pray for us, and we will sing together. Lord, we come to you this morning. Uh, just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for uh, your mercy, Lord, that we read about there in verse 1, your, your mercy that's new every morning, and it's by your mercies that you invite us. Um, you invite us into relationship with you, so we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we uh, consider your word this morning, I, I pray that, that we would realize that every aspect of our lives um, is, is, should be available to you as an act of worship. And the reality is, Lord, everything in our lives, like we're worshiping something. And I pray that we would, we would allow those areas to be transformed by your Spirit, that, uh, that we would worship you over and above lesser things. So, Lord, would you reorient our, our hearts and our minds this morning? Uh, would you be the object of our worship? Would we give everything in us uh, in, in worship to you for what you've done 
for us. So Lord, help us this week as we leave and as we go uh, to consider uh, where are we failing to surrender to you? Where are we allowing ourselves to be more shaped by the influence of the world uh, than by uh, your spirit working through your word? Lord, convict us. Um, Lord, that we might, we, we might respond in repentance and faith. So Lord, we love you. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.